So today in keeping with in that theme of who is that God, we're going to talk about two names of God that reveal his character. And those names that we're going to talk about today, if they're able to get them up, is going to be El-Rohi, which means the God who sees. And the other one is Jehovah-Jireh, the God who provides. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and just ask that you would meet with us here in this place. God, wrap your arms around our hearts and hold us and let peace settle into our souls. Let us understand that nothing's going to happen today or tomorrow or the next day that you can't handle. And so we rest in the abundance of your goodness and we give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you have ever made a statement? You may have said it or, or just thought in your mind, I wonder if God even sees what I'm going through. Anybody ever been there? You ever find yourself in a situation that had spun out of your control and you're praying about it and, and it, it, it just becomes overwhelming and then you hit that wall where you just look up and God, do you even see what's happening? God has a unique way of letting you know he's there. Amen. And that's another name of God, the God that's there. <laughs> but let me just share with you in, in Scripture, El-Rohi only shows up one time in Scripture, but that character of God, the God that sees, shows up all the way through the Bible. So where he shows up as the God who sees, when he is given that name, it's concerning a triangle. Everybody say, you've heard of a love triangle? That's what, yeah, I, I bet you didn't even know there was a love triangle in Scripture, but there is. And of all people, it's the father of faith, it's Abraham. Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. And so what happens, a promise has been made. Have you ever had God make you a promise? Anybody? Somebody set the alarm clock off and let everybody know it's all right to wake up. <laughs> Okay, you've, 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 you've had God made you a promise. And how many times in your waiting for that promise, you felt like God was kind of dragging his feet on it? You know, come on, God. I mean, you know, you, you told me this is going to happen. I'm ready for it to happen. But see what, what the, our, our challenge is, we live in an instant gratification society. We live in society where we get in our car drive by a window and say, give me dinner. Am I telling you the truth? We, we go to the store and look at pictures of steak and potato and mashed potatoes covered with gravy. And, oh, and we take that box home and we pop it in a microwave and nuke it. And then we can't understand why that meat tastes like rubber. <laughs> there are some things that you just don't get instantaneously. Sometimes we live in an instant, we have an instant mindset, but we're in a crockpot world. And so some things just need to cook a little bit. There are some things you're not going to get from God without spending some quality time in his presence. There are some things you're not going to find with God without spending quality time in his presence. You can't mimic it. You can't, you, you can't try and replicate it. You can't try and reproduce it. You have to experience it for yourself. Everybody say, I want some of that. <laughs> you know, we see... Cat once in a while will bring uh, popcorn from Chicago down to Debbie, and I'm supposed to get some. <laughs> but sometimes Debbie takes it with her in the car. <laughs> you saved me some of that popcorn, aren't you, honey? Yeah. <laughs> God is my witness. She was eating it so much, she, she took the thing and she rolled it up and she threw it in the floorboard on the passenger side to get it away from her. Phew. And then she stopped and reached over and got it. 
Am I telling the truth? I went to get the popcorn. I said, Where, these, these haven't been popped yet. It's just kernels in here. We, we want it now. But how many of you know that some things are worth waiting for? Amen. And so Abraham and Sarah find themselves in the dilemma. They have a promise from God in whom they trust and believe. But the promise isn't coming quick enough for them. And you have to understand in society back then, if you weren't having children, it was automatically the woman's fault. That, I'm just telling you the truth. That's the way they thought, that it was always the woman, you know, it's, it's the woman not doing it. And so sometimes what happens is when you're surrounded with a society that is always trying to put a yoke on your neck, sometimes you willingly carry it. And Sarah got to questioning who she was. Instead of trusting in who God was, she started to question who she was. And she went to her husband and she said, Abraham, let me borrow you a minute, James. He was 85 years old. <laughs> we believe in character play around here. <laughs> and so Sarah walks up to him and she said, Honey, God's, God, God's withheld me from being able to have kids. So what I want you to do is I want you to take my 20-something-year-old handmaid. And Abraham perked up a little bit. <laughs> Said, I, I want you to have a child with her. And then maybe it can, and it, and it can be mine. Now, let me ask you a question. Who did God give this promise to about the sand of the sea? Who? It came here first. It, do you understand that the man is the priest of the home? The man is supposed to cast the vision which means that you've got to cast a vision that's big enough for your wife to believe that she's an integral part of it. And it's not about you and God and, and she's out in left field someplace. When you got married, you became one. And now you serve God together. You live for God together. And the promise is to you together. And Abraham's response, this, the father of faith, looked at Sarah and said, not so, my wife. Thy loving wife of mine, you'll have done. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not taking Hagar. God made us this promise together and we're going to have a child. It may take longer than we expect it, but it's going to be okay. That's what we hope, he said. That's what we want him to say. But that's not what he said. He said, okay, sounds good to me. <laughs> Am I right, Abe? Unfortunately, yes. Give him a hand, would you? So, so he, I mean, think about this. The, the father of faith, what are you doing, pastor? I'm trying to let you understand that everyone in Scripture put their pants on the same way we do. You've got to quit putting halos over heads and, and separating yourself and treating people like, well, I could never have what they had. You know what they had? Trouble. You know what they had? Problems. Anybody in this house got any of that going on in your life? Well, then you're in a good place because then he can use you and navigate your situation the same way he did for them. Amen. And so you know what happens. They, they go, and I'm talking about the God who sees. He sees everything that's going on. How many of you wish that when you were getting ready to just mess up, God had jumped down and right in the middle of your world and say, oh, don't do that. I'd love for that to happen. Man, I remember, I remember years ago, I was, I, I, you know, I, I, I cut down this oak tree where we were getting ready to build a ministry building. I cut down this oak tree that was wrapped with poison oak. 
but it was dead. The tree was dead. The vines were dead. So I thought the poison oak was dead. I cut that thing down with a chainsaw. Then I cut it up with a chainsaw. Then I set it on fire. And I stood there breathing those fumes and God is my witness. I stood there and I felt something go in me and I immediately prayed, God, don't let this stuff break out on the inside of me. Well, folks, it didn't, but it sure enough broke out on the outside of me. I was covered with it. You say, what's your point? I'm trying to get, I want you to understand that God doesn't just instantly show up and make everything right sometimes. I, I, I was covered with this stuff and I was in revival. One of the, one of the, I, I mean, man, we had a move of God. People were coming. We had a pastor that was very proper. That guy was crawling around on the floor. God is my witness. He was crawling around on the floor. His wife was crying and saying, I've prayed all my life for this to happen. What she wanted was for him to experience the reality of God. Now, you don't have to crawl around on the floor to experience the reality of God. But if you're proud, pride goeth before Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. How many of you have ever seen anybody that was living for God and was a little haughty? Praise the Lord. We've gathered today in this sanatorium, I mean sanctuary. You understand what I'm talking about? Just, and so it, when, when that happened to him, but here's what was going on. I would get, I, I'd go to church and I was dying, man. I, you ever stand in church want to do this? <laughs> Ain't nobody wants you to lay hands on them after you've done that, folks. I'm, I'm standing up there, man. I'm, I'm, I'm about to, you know, I'm, and God is my witness every night, all week long. Every night, I would be in the pew just about to die. And when I stepped behind the pulpit and opened up the Bible and read Scripture, it instantly left me. I could preach. I didn't feel any of it. I felt the anointing of God. We prayed for people, saw lives changed and transformed. And at the end, when, at the end of the service, I could always tell when it was time to quit praying. <laughs> and it was like, I thought, and I told my wife, I said, man, this is such a great thing if it wasn't this itch. <laughs> but I would love for God to be able to, to, to have control of my life in such a way that I knew instantly when he was done. I knew instantaneously. You understand what I'm talking about? How many of you in a discussion with your wife wished you would have known when you should have been quiet? <laughs> Any takers? <laughs> You know, it's just, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it, don't say it. Whoops. <laughs> and so, that, that, but Abraham buys into it. Now, so he goes and he has relations. Now, the scripture said that he, that Sarah gave him Hagar to wife. It was a different culture then. And so it was a common practice that if a woman couldn't have a baby, she would give the handmaid to her husband to be like a secondary wife. And then she would, when that woman was birthing that child, oftentimes she would sit in her lap while she was giving birth. And so that, that child became her child. But something happened that Sarah wasn't expecting. When Hagar got pregnant, she got an attitude. So all of a sudden, you know, here's, here's Sarah over here and, and Hagar's carrying, supposed to be her baby, but when Hagar walks by her, she's always copes, she copes an attitude. Give me some attitude. She walked, she walked by and pat her belly. Oh, am I Yeah, you're pregnant. What's wrong with you? What do you know? No, I'm not pregnant. Oh, yeah. You better not. No, okay, okay, okay. So here. 
So she, she comes by and she's got, she's, you know, and so she, the, the, literally the scripture talks about that she begins to, it, it's, it, it's like she's trying to rub it in. It's like she, you know, she, she shows contempt for Sarah. And so every time she walks by, she, you know, and she knows she got that baby and, and Sarah, you know, and, and Sarah's finally had all she can take. I'm talking to you, Abraham. <laughs> and so, so, go ahead, Hagar, have a seat. So all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Sarah goes to Abraham. Now, now check this out. And, and, and she gets a hold of him and said, look, man, this is, this is your fault. This is, <laughs> don't you know what's, what Abraham wants to say? It was your idea. <laughs> but at the end of the day, does it really matter? All he wants is peace in his home. And so he looked at Sarah and said, look, she's your handmaid. Do what you want to with her. Sarah's upset because this girl's despising her and she's treating her like she's nothing and she's no one. And so when Abraham tells her to do what he wants, thank you. When Abraham tells her to do what she wants to, she copes an attitude. Your Hagar, go get me some breakfast now. Wait, what now? <laughs> What'd you say? Wait. <laughs> go sit down, Hagar. <laughs> it's okay. No, no, don't worry. Go ahead. <laughs> so Sarah's going. <laughs> so Sarah begins to, she starts treating Hagar bad. She's, you get my breakfast. You go bake me a pie. Go chop some wood. Go, you know, she, I mean, she's just laying it on to the point that Hagar takes off running away. And Hagar leaves and she's alone. Now, I want you to understand something. That it, it wasn't, this mess wasn't God's fault. God wasn't the author of it. But how many of you know that we've authored a lot of stuff that God has to intervene in? How many of you have ever offered some mess in your life? Wave your hand. Don't sit there and act like you walk on water. <laughs> that God had to intervene in. And so he intervenes, and, and what we think is that God would only intervene for Abraham and Sarah because, after all, that's where his promise is at. And he doesn't change his mind concerning them. But what God does is God shows up in a wilderness. Now, I, I love this phrase because it says that God found her in the wilderness by a spring. I wanted that to sink in a moment. Because friend, even in your most desperate situations, God's got a way of sending you a refreshing. Even when you're in your deepest, darkest wilderness, God can cause a spring to show up. He found her by a spring and he said, what, what are you doing? She said, can I put it in plain English instead of King James? She said, I ran from Sarah. She's man, she's making my life miserable. And he said, well, you go back to Sarah and you submit. Ooh. Every wife in here say submit. submit. Didn't that hurt? <laughs> we don't even like the word. It's because we don't understand the word. Submit isn't about being a doormat. Submit is about recognizing authority. So, and, and she said, look, Hagar, what, do, do you not think that God knew what Hagar had been doing before? You know, she could have spilled, she could have told anything she wanted to, but God sees. <laughs> Amen. And she knew God sees. And, and, and so he said, you, you just go back and you submit to authority. And he said, and I'm going to do something for you. How many of you are glad that God gives us what we don't deserve? Yes. 
I mean, how many of you, how many of you in here today would like to get what you really deserve? No, we don't want what we deserve. I'll never forget, man, I told a story about my dad, but it's a, it's a great illustration about it. My, we, we went to a laundromat and, you know, we were, dad was in doing the laundry and I was, you know, I don't know, I may have been six, seven years old and I found my way out to the car and I found me a pack of matches. And you give a seven-year-old boy a pack of matches and he can have all kinds of fun. And so I, I'm sitting there in the car and I'm pulling these matches off and I'm pushing in the cigarette lighter. And the cigarette lighter to come out and I was like, and I had the window rolled down. And I, was, I went through that whole pack of matches. I made a horrible mistake and I forgot to get rid of all the matches that were piled up right outside the door. So when it came time to go home, dad goes and he starts to get in the driver's door and he sees this pile of burnt matches. And he looked at me and he said, boy, you've been playing with matches? And when my dad looked at you and said, boy, you better tell the truth. And I looked at him and I said, yes, sir. He said, you're getting a whipping when you get home. That's the longest drive of my life. We got in, it was only eight miles to my house, but it, it felt like 800. And by the time we got home, you know, he, he bought groceries, so we'd stopped at the grocery store. And the whole time I'm thinking, make him forget, God, make him forget, cause his memory to pass. <laughs> and, and we get home, and so when we get home, you know, we, we unloaded all the groceries and all that, and, and we're, we're down, you know, watching, I think it was Jackie Gleason or something, you know, we're, we're watching television, and I'm sitting at the foot of his chair. His chair's right here. He's sitting in it, and I'm leaned up against the arm of his chair, and we're watching television, and everything's good, and he reaches down, and he rubs my head. And then he says, seems like I forgot something. Like it threw me in cardiac arrest right then. And I, he said, seems like I was supposed to do something. Do you ever have parents just agging on? You know? And he looked at me and, and he asked me, he said, what do you think I ought to do to you? I wanted to say, give me a vacation to Disneyland, but... I knew that wasn't going to play. <laughs> and I looked at him and I said, and I had my head down, I said, I guess. Or he said, what do you, what do you think you ought, I ought to do? What do, you, what do you think you deserve? And I, I put my head down and I said, a whipping. And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm not going to give you a whipping today. Just don't do that again. There's something powerful about a father, a heavenly father, that doesn't give us what we deserve. And so my whole life changed that moment. I mean, I went from dread to joy. I went from sorrow to happiness. All because someone was willing to forgive. He told her, he said, look, he knows this, is, this whole mess, part of it's her fault and part of it's Sarah's fault and part of it's Abraham's fault, but... God's not concerned about whose fault it is. He just wants it to be healed. And so what he does is he reaches down and he, he looks at her and he said, now look, you know, you messed up, so I'm going to make your life miserable. No. He looked at her and he said, I'm going to bless your seed I'm going to multiply your seed. Now, I want you to stay with me here because sometimes what gets multiplied 
isn't always a blessing. He said, I'm going to multiply your seed. And he said, and, and you're not going to be able to count them. And, and, and you're going to, hit, and this boy you're going to have, his hand is going to be against every man's hand. And, and every man's hand will be against him. And, and what's he saying? He's saying, this boy will be born for adversity. Now, I want you to hear me. Because when we hear adversity, we cringe. But I'm telling you, I have watched God use adversity to bring about his plan. I said, I have watched God use it. King David would have never been who he was had there not been a giant in his life at one point. It was the adversity that caused him to rise up. It, it was trusting God in the middle of tough circumstances that caused him to become a king. And so he says, now I want you to name this boy Amen. Ishmael. Do you know what Ishmael's name means? God sees. I'm sorry, that's not what it means. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. <laughs> Ishmael means God hears. And then all of a sudden, Hagar is so taken back by this promise and by God demonstrating himself to her that she calls the name of the Lord. This is in Genesis 16, 11, 13. And she calls the name of the Lord that spoke to her El-Rohi, you are the God who sees. God was demonstrating to himself, I don't just hear you, I see you. How many of you have ever needed God to see what you're going through? Oh, come on. Is there anybody in this house today? Let me... You say, well, what's that got to do with me? That was way back then. Have you ever felt forgotten or cast aside? Have you been loved and left and embraced and dropped? Your health ran out, your money ran out, and now your hope is about to run out. God sees what you're going through. He's the God who sees. Everybody say he sees. Now look in Proverbs 15 and 3 says that the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees everything you're going through. He sees it when you're having good days and he sees it when you're having bad days. He sees it when your friends are lifting you up and he sees it when you're camped around about your enemies. God sees. In Hebrews 4, he said that there is nothing in all of creation hidden from God. Now hear me. God not only sees you, but God has not forgotten you. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, he hasn't forgotten. Come on, look at him right now and say, he hasn't forgotten. In Isaiah 49, it says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palm of my hands. Those are nail scars on his hands. And every time he sees those, he thinks of you. He's a God who sees. In 2 Chronicles 16 and 9, it says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. Just hang on. He's going to show up. He's going to come to you when you need him most. He's going to show you that he sees what you're going through. Jesus makes a statement in Matthew 28 and 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. But wait. Everybody say it. But wait. No, say it with anticipation. But wait. He's not just the God who sees. He's also Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees to it, the God who provides. Everybody say, my provider. You know where that name shows up, right? That only shows up one place in Scripture too, but he, 
His character of being a provider shows up throughout Scripture. This Abraham guy is still in the picture. He's had that son that God promised him. His name's Isaac. And now God tells him, I want you to take that boy up to Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Can you imagine what went through his mind? What goes through your mind when all of a sudden God tells you, sell that fur coat and give it, or, or I'm sorry, don't sell the fur coat. Give it away. I want you to give your custom-made fur coat to, and then insert the name. That's exactly what happened to us. We were in Mississippi preaching a revival. This girl had had a fox coat custom-made. And the Lord spoke to her and said, give it to the evangelist's wife. And I thought, wow, how come I didn't get it? <laughs> no, I didn't. But she gave that coat to Debbie. That coat wouldn't even fit Debbie. She, Debbie had it on, and she was looking at it, and that girl was so proud of that coat on the inside. Man, it was inscribed her name, I believe, in the, the, you know, the whole thing. And I forget how many thousand dollars that coat was worth, but she gave it to Debbie. You know what Debbie did with it? She sold it. Boy, it got quiet. Well, I ain't never going to give her nothing. Now hear me, she sold it and she used the money that she got from it for the first recording we made of her singing. And it produced all these hundreds of tapes that ended up going to, into the hands of individuals all across the nation and changed their lives. How many of you know a song can change your life too? when it's based on the Word. And so sometimes God's asking, what God's asking us to give up is going to end up blessing so many other people. So he's supposed to give up Isaac. And you know the story. He goes up there and, you know, walking in faith, looking at the men behind him. He said, me, me and the boys going up to this mountain and we're, we're going to come back. Do you ever have to speak faith out even when in your heart it was fluttering? Do you ever learn how to go ahead and declare it even though you're a little fearful? And so Abraham's just declaring it and he starts up that mountain and Isaac looks at him and said, Daddy, he said, I see the wood and the fire for the burnt offering, but where, where's the lamb, Dad? Where's the lamb? Don't you know how that gripped his heart? When all of a sudden he wants to be able to secure this boy. But Hebrews said that he believed that even if Isaac died, that God would raise him from the dead. And, and so Abraham looks at him and he makes this statement and he said, God shall provide himself a lamb. Everybody say it. God shall provide himself a lamb. So they go on up, and you know what happens. He's got the knife drawn. He's getting ready to take Isaac's life, and God stops him and, and says, don't touch that child because now I know that you're not going to withhold anything from me. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. And he turned around and he looked, and there was a ram caught in a thicket bush. Now that's not what... Abraham said, Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb and in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. On Mount Moriah, it shall be seen. So you fast forward all these years and you see God as the God who sees and the God who provides. And several hundred years after, all of a sudden there's a guy that's in the wilderness eating locusts and wild honey. He steps out and he sees Jesus come walking and he declares, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. God will provide him. He is Jehovah Jireh. And when they crucified him, they crucified him on the corner of Mount Moriah. Do you understand? that God is true to his word. He sees and he provides. He knows when you're in trouble. 
He knows when stuff is going wrong in your life. He knows when you're in desperate situations. And he's saying, if you'll just hold on to me, if you'll just reach out for me, I'm going to illustrate that I hear you, I see you, and I will provide for you. He hasn't changed. Philippians 4.19, it said, And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Everybody say it with me. God will provide. Now, God doesn't... Here's what you have to understand is sometimes what you're asking for isn't what you need. God will provide all your need according... But how many of you have ever asked for something you didn't need? You know what I'm talking about? You remember that great big car payment you had? God, please let the loan go through. Please let the loan go through. Oh, God, please let the money come. Please let the money come. You know what I'm talking about? You didn't need that. Somebody said, if you just trust him, he'll bring it to you. God is my witness. He'll bring it to you. I had, I had had vans go to Mexico. I had a van I took to Mexico. I had to pour a quart of oil in. It used a quart of oil every hundred miles. It was a 3,000-mile trip. I had a Texaco truck following me down the road. No, I didn't. I felt like I needed one. Every man, the, the back of my trailer was covered with oil. And I'm, I'm pouring it in and pouring it in. And somebody gave that to me to use. Bless their heart. <laughs> Had another van go to Mexico. The engine blew up. Had another van go to Mexico. Lost the, 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 the uh, transmission in it. Had another van go to Mexico and lost the, the radiator in it. And I'm thinking, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you Lord, for your blessings on me. You know what I'm talking about? If you're not careful, you get your focus on the wrong stuff. But if you'll just praise him where you're at, he's going to get you where he wants you to be. I'm so used. I'm, I'm so used to this by now, man. When Hurricane Katrina blew through, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I, I've got to have a vehicle to pull a trailer. In. So I see this old pickup truck in the back of this guy's yard. It's been wrecked. The whole bed's just kind of tore off of it. It's got flats all over it. The windows are down in it. There's mud slung up all in it. I went back there. I said, do you want to sell that truck? He said, I, I said, is that truck running? He said, well, yeah, it runs. I said, do you want to sell it? And he said, well, what do you want that truck for? I said, I, I just need a truck to pull a trailer. I said, will you sell it? And he said, no. I said, if you want that, you can just have it. Amen. We asking for the wrong stuff, folks. <laughs> I got so excited about that old rotten truck. Guy called me up and he said, you know you're going to have to replace all the tires on this. I said, that's okay, it's okay. I said, that's great. He said, well, I don't understand. What do you want this truck for? I said, I'm getting ready to do hurricane relief in Mississippi with Hurricane Katrina, and I need a truck to pull tra trailers. And he said, no, no, no. I said, what? No, no, you don't need I said, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine, please. I'm praying. God, don't let him take that truck back. And he says, he said, you know, that, that's not going to work. I said, it'll be fine. Give me my truck. I'm just, you know, I'm thinking. And he says, look, he said, just come down here. You know, come on down. We'll talk about when you get down there. The whole way down, I'm praying, God, make him give me that truck. God, make him give me that truck. I'm telling you, God knows what you need. Amen. So quit trying to. Quit trying to put him in a headlock. Quit trying to, on the sign outside, I got down, don't put God in a box. Because how many times do we do it? Well, God, it's got to happen like this. It's got to happen like this. The whole way down, I'm, God, I got to have that truck. I got to have that rotten truck with all the tires blown out and mud slung up all over it and the beds ripped off of it. That's my truck. I get down there and the guy tells me, he said, look, Rick, he said, you don't need this truck. He said, wouldn't a van be more 
what you need. I mean, you know, since you go to Mexico and take people, I said, well, yeah, you know, a van would be great, but I didn't see a tore up van in the back of your yard. I didn't tell him that, but I'm thinking, I didn't see no van out there. And he said, well, come with me. This was in 2005, and he drove me to a car lot and handed me the keys to a brand new 2005 one-ton van. There wasn't no mud slung up in that van. All the tires were up. Engine worked. God is my witness. I drove that van. I was pulling supplies on the way down the highway. Driving that van, I broke down and started crying. And I said, God, thank you. Because he knows what we need. (laughs) Let God meet your need. Let God supply your need according to his riches and glory. Would you stand with me today? And here's my question for you. What do you need today? What do you need? Not about... What do you want or what do you think you need? But what do you need? You see, what I thought I needed wasn't what I needed at all. If if God would have answered my prayer, it would have been another headache for me. Another constantly nursing and trying to take care of it. That van went to Mexico countless times. It served on relief efforts countless times. There's over, I think, over 170,000 miles on that van, and it sits in the parking lot of this church, and we've been using it here for all those relief efforts. God wants to give you what you need, but I want you to hear me. When he gives you what you need, take care of it. Take care of it. So he gives you a word to lift your spirit. And then you leave church and you let that word slip away from you. You ought to take care of that word. You ought to hang on to it. You ought to cherish it. I was in my office this past week. I opened the Bible up and I I laid it on my chest. I've read a lot of books in my lifetime. But I never read a book that changed my life like that. I've read it over and over and over. I've probably read through the Bible 30 times. I've read through so many different translations. But every time I read it, I found something I need. He supplies my need according to his riches. (laughs) It's a rich word. It's a powerful word. It's a life-giving word and a life-changing word. You need to pull it into your world. Value it. Hang on to it and let him use it to transform you. What do you need today? He said he'll supply it, but hear me. There's a way this works. He said you have not because you ask not. See, we want God just to be a mind reader and and just, you know, be like a genie out of a bottle and always look out for us and always give us exactly what we need without us asking. Did your parents do that for you? The only thing my dad ever gave me without me asking was castor oil. But if I wanted an ice cream cone, I had to ask. What he's saying, he said, you have not because you ask not. And then he said, and then sometimes you ask for the wrong thing. You ask amiss. Everybody say, I missed it. 
Any of you ever miss it before? I missed it. I was asking God for, you know, beauty all these years and when I should have been asking for wealth. Well, the truth is God answered my prayer. The beauty's right there. He supplied what I needed, what I needed. And I needed her in my life. And I'm so thankful she's there. I don't know what you need, but he does. As a matter of fact, he knows what you need even better than you know what you need. And if you'll just, if you'll just take a moment today to ask him, he said, ask and ye shall receive. Seek and you'll find, knock and it will be opened to you. So look at somebody and say this with me, ask, seek and knock. Ask, seek and knock. One more time, ask, seek and knock. And when you do that, the God that sees also becomes the God that provides. Now I'm going to leave you with this. Hebrews, it says that this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he didn't sin. He didn't fail. And then in Zechariah 2 and 8, it said, he touches, he that touches you touches the apple of his eye. <laughs> Why don't you just take it? Did you ever think about that? Do you ever realize you're the apple of God's eye? Why don't you just give yourself a hug right now? Just, just, just reach your arms around you. Give yourself a hug because you don't have any problem believing that God sees everything that's wrong with you. You don't have any problem believing that God sees every time you mess up and fail. You don't, believe, you don't have trouble believing that God sees it every time you fall on your face. Why can't you believe that you're the apple of his eye? He loves you. He wants to do something special for you. So then the scripture said, therefore, let's come boldly unto the throne of grace that we can find help and ever-present help in time of need. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. I'm going to ask you to get your need and bring it to a God who sees and provides. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come and stand with me for just a second. Now look. We're here to pray with you if you need that. I just want you to understand, I don't have to pray for you for God to give you what you need. I don't have to lay hands on you for you to get what you need. I had a guy in Texas one time, we were in a revival and he came up and there were, there were people that were being touched and folks laying out on the floor. And he, he, he said there and from the back, this was a big old guy. In the back, he said, that's just a bunch of junk. He said, that there, there's nothing real to that. And his daddy said, well, go up there and let him pray for you. And so he looked at his dad and he said, all right. He said, I'm going to. He said, but that, that preacher pushes me, I'm going to knock his head off. I'm so glad I didn't know what he was coming for. I'm so glad that there's a God who sees and provides. <laughs> he came up to me. I thought he wanted to be, I, I thought he just wanted prayer. So I wasn't thinking about anything. And can I tell you, it's not my hand. It's the hand of God. And when the hand of God touched that man, he hit that floor. And when his service was over, his daddy said, well, what do you think now? He said, I'll tell you one thing. That's real. <laughs> Look. I don't know what God's going to, it, it's not about, I, I want you to hear me for a second because it's not about whether you cry or whether you laugh or whether you smile or whether you shake or, or you just stand there. Those are just effects of his presence. Like when Moses went up to that mountain that mountain was on fire. And those people were afraid of the fire and what they didn't realize is that wasn't God, that was just a manifestation. That was a result of his presence. 
the God that they were afraid of Moses was communing with the God that they were backing away from Moses was drawing close to don't back away from God don't don't all of a sudden find yourself an arm's length away from him he's the God that sees what you're going through he this he's the God that hears your prayer He's the God that will supply according to his riches and glory. So whatever it is, I want you to get ready to bring it. I want to, I want to cue you in on something. I've told you this, but there's a shift that's happening. I feel it right now. There's a shift that's coming, and this is what God's saying. I want you to get filled up so I can pour out of you to others. I need you. We don't need to be coming to church half empty. We don't need to be coming to church. Well, if you are half empty, come on to church anyway. But what I'm saying is this, is God is saying, I want to supply your need to the point. Remember what Malachi said? He said, I'll pour out to you blessing and that not enough. I'm also going to rebuke the devourer for your sake. What's he saying? He said, not only am I going to pour out on you, but I'm going to hold back the devil from you. (laughs) So if you're in this place today, I want you to bring your need, but I want you to bring it this way. I want you to bring it and say, God, fill me up so I can pour it out. Are you willing to do that? God, fill me up so I can pour it out. As they sing right now, would you take a moment to just bring that need to the Lord right now? Just come to the front of this building as we stand together. It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise. We pour out our praise. It's your breath in our lungs so we pour out our praise to you said that young people in 
in a, in a uh, the father's, or, or, let me put it in plain English. He's saying that when you're young, you're like an arrow in the quiver of your father. In other words, in, you are the ammunition. And so God wants to use you. And that means that you have to be strong. Because right now what happens, there's so much peer pressure that happens that a lot of times you feel like you're getting sucked in and, and you end up in places you don't want to be doing things you thought you'd never do. God understands. He's a God that sees. And He's a God that provides for you. He's a God that provides your way out and your way in. You say, but Pastor, it's different now. I don't know. I was a kid once. They laughed when I was living for God. They laughed when I wasn't living for God. So I figured, why should I let laughing get to me? But one thing I made up my mind was nobody was going to take away from me what I'd found in Him. You understand, this wasn't about, I didn't, I didn't one day decide that I wanted to belong to a church and walk up and shake somebody's hand. I knew nothing about God and God apprehended me. He hunted me down. God that sees got a hold of me. The God that hears heard my cry. And then he provided power to be an overcomer. That's what God's going to do for you right now. So wherever you're at, you're, I, I need you to understand this. That you can lead from behind. What do you mean? I mean if you're not the Glee Cup Club captain, if you're not the quarterback on the football team. You don't have to be at the head to lead. As a matter of fact, I don't know if you've ever been on a big ship, but what directs the ship is in the back. Oh, I know there's a captain up there, but that captain can have that wheel, be doing all kinds of stuff with it. He ain't going no place if it's not for that rudder in the back. And that's what you're going to do. God's going to make you a rudder. It's going to give you direction. I pulled into a gas station. I'm getting ready to end. I pulled into a gas station one day, and the Spirit of the Lord started talking to me, and he said, you see that pump? And I said, yeah. He said, that's not you. I, I took the pump out, you know, of the tank and, and stuck it in my gas tank, you know, and I squeezed it. And he said, you see that nozzle that you're squeezing? I said, yeah. He said, that's not you. And then all of a sudden, I don't know, some of you may not be old enough to remember this, but there used to be an old rubber hose that didn't, it wasn't up on the tank. It used to lay on the ground, man, and people run all over it and it'd get all greasy and everything. And the Lord, uh, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to me and he said, you see that hose that's all greasy and everybody runs over the top of? I said, yeah. He said, that's you. Before I could complain, he gave me the rest of it. He said, son, he said, you can't pump it out and you can't squeeze it on. But if you'll be a conduit for me to flow through, I'll touch people through your life. The part that everybody looks at and doesn't pay any attention to, the part that seems the most unimportant, without it, there's no flow. So let God flow through you. I want you to stretch your hands. Hey, church, would you raise your hands, stretch your hands toward them right now? I want you to pray this prayer with me. You're, we're dispatching you today as ambassadors of the cross. You're walking out of here captains and generals and lieutenants in God's army. You are not some insignificant nothing. You are a child of a king. So you walk with your head up. And when somebody looks at you and says, who do you think you are? Smile at them and say, how much time you got? Because <laughs> I'm blood bought. There was somebody who loved me so much that he gave his life to save me. That's who you are. Stretch those hands. Father, I give you praise right now that, God, you're sending them out as ambassadors. This is the beginning of a new year, of a new day, and a new season for them. They're not going to fall in old ruts and routines because you didn't make them to blend in. You made them to stand out. And even though they may be in the back of the ship, their voice will cause a change of direction for that whole vessel. 
Let it happen now. Let them see the turn take place. We give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Come on, give my hand clap of praise in this house today. This is what I want to encourage you to. If you're able to get over to next this Wednesday, come over to next so we can pour into your life. We're not about just, we have a good time, but we're not just about having a good time. We're about making world changers. We're about encountering the prayer. Oh, don't forget the uh, encounter night tonight. Come back expecting. I believe God's going to give us some miracles tonight. How about you? It, he's, he's a miracle working God. Also for the media team and the ushers, make sure to see me after service in the chapel. And for the rest of you, say it with me. I'm the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. I'm blessed going out and coming in. And I am a child of God. Come on and give my hand clap for praise. We hope you've been touched by today's message. I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you. The Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. In the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you, that they're plans for good and not for destruction, to give you a future and a hope. That's what God wants for your life. He has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you. And you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today. I wonder if you'd take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me. God, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. Lord, I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life. And right now, I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart, we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home. Now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you, and we do too.